this room. I mean, that's always accurate. Just it always seems like every time we record, it's when the animals all want to be wherever we are. It, or they want to, like, play with toys that they haven't, like, touched all day. And they're yeah. like, this is the time. I'm going to find the jingle ball and I'm going to smack it around. <laughs> just keep smacking it. Or, like, I'm just going to start scratching this carpet and I'm going to start licking my paws. <laughs> That's what happens. Um, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Merry Christmas. Happy Chris New Year's. No, yeah. what's the... Merry Krampus. I don't know. I have no idea. Just cut it out. It's fine. Um, yeah. Obviously, me, Macy and I, sorry, let me be grammatically correct here. Macy and I celebrate Christmas. So for those of you who don't, happy holidays. Happy whatever you celebrate. I'm sorry if it's late. I'm sorry if we're early. But either way, happy everything. Yeah. So what? How, tell me about your week. Um, I mean, technically it hasn't happened yet. Because this is the week oh. before Christmas. <laughs> yeah, we're recording early to keep yeah. up with Patreon. And yeah. if you haven't become a patron, you can do so eventually. I've got a 50-pound dog on my lap right now. Oh, but he is so cute. I wish you could see his face. Oh, there's my big Chad Moomoo boy. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> that he's cannot like, be this comfortable. No, he's like, this is not what i thought i was gonna be no you should go the other way around <laughs> mm-hmm. like put your butt where your head was yep oh um no i mean since last time we were recorded it's been a good week we were back at work and it was yeah typical typical work yeah glad to be off again though so same yeah it's always nice to have days off i know i love it um other than that i don't really have anything new i have a new blanket nice i know i got it from work thanks work Dispatchers get personalized gifts and cops get rocks. I get because there's rock. twenty of us versus how many of you guys? Like I don't know. Over a hundred. That has my badge number on it. So well, which one's more useful? The rock. The blanket. In case we get an intruder, <laughs> yeah. bash their head. Go in. find that rock. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I would use. Yeah. That's the first thing I'd go yeah. for. But yeah, nothing too exciting to report. I'm glad it's Christmas. I'm glad 2020 is almost over. Same. And I'm ready for New Year's 2021. <clears throat> what do you got? How's your week? Um, I don't. I don't know. Kind of the same. It's yep. just like it's hard to like finish a work week when like you come back from vacation. <laughs> You're just kind of like, ugh, this is the longest day ever. Yeah. Our vacation was like go go go. We want to do all these different things, and yeah, so busy. And then you go to work, and it's like you need another vacation after your vacation. Yeah, so. basically. So next time, I think I'm just gonna take two weeks off and spend the first like four days just sleeping, and then spend the next week doing all the things I need to do, and spend the next however many days I have left sleeping again. That sounds reasonable. Yeah, obviously. doable. Super doable. It'll definitely happen obviously no it will happen yeah okay (laughs) well tell me what christmas themed story you have for me i have what'd you name it okay so i title all of our stories each week last week was haunted chips the week before i think it was like child murderer murdery thing or something like that this week it's chris fucking this (laughs) you would have guessed it no i don't think no Oh, well, dang, that's disappointing. Um, we have completely different stories this time. We went in, like, different directions, mm-hmm. so, like, neither one of us are doing a true crime or whatever. Whatever. I'm doing a true crime. I was just saying, I mean, I so meant, like, not both, not both of us. Right. Yeah. Yes, correct. Um, 
what I'm doing is something that hopefully a lot of people have heard of, but don't know a lot about, because I've heard of it. Never heard about it, like the history of it. I just knew what I heard from television. I'm covering Belschnickel. What kind of television do you watch? Just wait. I'll tell you all about I've the television. Never heard of this. Well, have I know I? why. No. And listeners right now are knowing why, because if they have watched this one television show, you know all about it. Don't say anything. I swear to God, if you say anything and ruin it, <laughs> I'm going to have this whole reveal at the end. <laughs> Anyways, we're talking about Belschnickel. So there's a lot of German words in here, and I apologize already if I mispronounce them. I'm she trying. Was apologizing last week about this episode. So. I know. I feel I, I kept doing even more notes, and I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> it's bad. So Belschnickel is related to St. Nicholas aka santa but saint nick is his real name in the so in he's related to him in the folklore of german-speaking europe so he's like a he was either related to him or a companion of him depending mm-hmm. on the lore um some sources refer to belschnickel as santa's cranky cousin or the dark side of santa mm. yeah which is they're all very fitting because apparently belschnickel Literally means St. Nicholas in furs. Say again. Belschnickel means St. Nicholas in furs. In furs. In furs. Not like... In in fur fur coat. Yeah. Okay. And I'll tell you a little bit more about his fashion choices. Um, But that's according to an employee from Lehigh Valley Heritage Museum in Pennsylvania, which we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, He's possibly based off an older German myth of Necht Rebrecht who was a servant of St. Nicholas. Um, Unlike that myth, Belschnickel doesn't accompany St. Nicholas. He visits alone. So it's like he's either with St. Nick or he's not, you know? Mm -hmm. So it combines both the friendly aspects of St. Nicholas with some threatening traditions, which is even more fun once I tell you all about it. Yes. Um, I'm giving her my straw. This dog on me and I can't reach my dog. <laughs> I can't drink anyways right now, so it's fine. Um, so let's get into his fashion. <laughs> I, let me say that normally. <laughs> no? Yeah, go ahead. Let's get into his fashion. Belschnickel is a man wearing various furs and sometimes a mask with a long tongue. It depends on... The, the Germans really don't go to a lot of trouble for like creative names. They literal they are very like literal people. Super literal people. <laughs> His name literally means Saint Nicholas in, in first. first. <laughs> 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 yep. Um so one depiction of him is him just like decked out in some furs and then another one is him like disguised and wearing a mask that has like a long tongue. So it's kind of disturbing. He's typically like ragged looking and disheveled. He wears torn, tattered, and dirty clothes. Uh, he carries a switch. Do you know what a switch is? It's a stick, right? Yeah. So I didn't know what a like. I knew what it looked like. I just didn't know what it was called a switch. So for those of you who don't know, a flexible rod, which is typically used for corporal punishments, and um, if you look at images of it, it looks like a whip, but it has like uh, various tails at the end. Yeah, there's certain trees that make. Branches that look like that. and Oh, yeah. Like, kind of like bamboo. Yep. It, like, frays off like that. Also, a lot of sources state that it was specifically a hickory switch, which, um, for those of you who don't know, hickory is the strongest wood in America. 
And if Macy were to be a tree, <laughs> she would be a hickory tree. <laughs> and I literally put, LOL, LOL, LOL. I knew the second you said hickory, I'm like, God damn it. I had to put it in there. Oh, man. Because so, they're the strongest wood. Um, if you don't get the TikTok reference, you need to have a better TikTok for Yeah, page. you do. You need to check out Ghost Honey and she watch said, all of his videos. He said, I'm a hickory because hickories are not because they're strong. They're stubborn. And unyielding. <laughs> they're unyielding. <laughs> it's Macy. <clears throat> Anyways. I'm very yielding. So yielding, babe. I love you. So, um... Enough about the switch. He also has pockets full of cakes, candies, and nuts for good children. Um, so, you know what I don't want ever? Cakes, candies, or nuts? A handful of nuts. <laughs> what is it with my stories and, like, nuts being involved? That's fine. Um, the Belschnickel character originated in Pal- Palatinate. Other sources say he originated in Rhine, which is an area including Germany, France, and Switzerland. Palatinate is a region in Germany um, that is, it was like a territory that the German Empire, that was ruled by uh, Count Palatine of Rhine. So it's kind of like all the same thing, but some people were like, no, it's just Rhine. Some people were like, oh, it's Palatine. So I'm just going to say both, but... um. When the Palatinate people immigrated to Pennsylvania, they brought their German traditions with them, obviously. Uh, first, sources say that there are two versions of Belschnickel, the rural and the urban characters. Both are described in the book Christmas in Pennsylvania, a folk cultural study by Alfred L. Shoemaker and Don Yoder. Um, the tradition fell into decline towards the end of the 19th century, probably because they're in America and it's christmas you know christianity and stuff like that but um uh it's becoming a revival in recent years for obvious reasons to those who have watched the tv show that i talk about anyways do you want me to stop no okay i'm trying to not have you edit so much okay go ahead so there are several other versions which we'll also cover like some of the stories and what Belschnickel does exactly. They're basically all the same, just a little bit different depending on region and such. But Belschnickel was known in Pennsylvania in the early 1800s, most common in the Lehigh Valley German regions of Pennsylvania, which now consists of the cities of Allentown, Bethlehem, and Easton, Pennsylvania. It's like a little metropolitan area there. So, real quick fun fact, I haven't had one of these in a while. The Lehigh Valley Heritage Museum has an employee who dresses up as Belschnickel during Christmas, or during December. Like, they have, like, specific dates that he, I guess, or she dresses up and does whatever they want to do. Which would be what? What do you do? You can go to their website and, like, see the dates that are available for Belschnickel. I'll tell you what Belschnickel does. And I feel like they do, like, some kind of variation of this tradition. Okay. But it's kind of fun to think that they still, like, have fun with it. Right. Um, so amongst the Pennsylvania Germans, Belschnickel is the character who visits homes prior to Christmas to check up on the behavior of children. The traditional Belschnickel shows up at houses one to two weeks before Christmas and often created fright because he knew exactly which one of the children misbehaved, which is him doing the deeds of Santa. I'm sure Santa was like, mm-mm. 
This little kid, Joe's messing up again. Um, so Belshnickel would rap on the door or window with his stick or his switch, and often the children would have to answer a question for him or sing a t- song of some type. Um, other sources say, though, that the children would have to recite a poem, a Bible verse, or a math equation. Basically, they had to, like, prove to him something that he was demanding, and they would get goodies. Okay. So he would take the goodies that he has in his pocket, like the candies, the nuts, and the cakes or whatever, and he would throw them onto the floor. This guy sounds like a dick. (laughs) But it gets worse. If the children jumped too quick for the treats, they would end up getting struck by the switch. God, the Germans really... (laughs) Between this and Krampus, they don't fuck around. No, yeah. So, um... It was Belshnickel's job to basically remind the kids that they had a short amount of time to be good before St. Nicholas would arrive. Uh, So there's a first-hand account of Belshnickel in 19th century tradition in Allegheny County, Maryland. It can be found in Brown's Miscellaneous Writings, which is a collection of essays by Jacob Brown, who was born in 1824. Um, It says that he, this specific entry was written in the time period around 1830. So he was like six years old. So I'm like, how credible is a six year old? Um, or he's around 1830. So he's like, a, that old is like a teenager. Anyways, he states, we did not hear of Santa Claus. Instead, we were raised in a completely different tradition. He was known as Chris Kinkle and Belts Nickel, and sometimes as a Christmas woman. Children then not only saw the mysterious person, but held, felt him rather um, with the stripes that he would mark on their backs. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he would just beat the shit out of them. He wouldn't be yeah. like, I don't care if you can recite your math equation. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, so the annual visitor would make his appearance some hours after dark, dressed up in a disguise, like with a mask. So this is the tradition with the mask, not the furs. Um, and it was generally wore female garb, hence the name Christmas woman. So because of that, it would usually or sometimes be a woman with masculine force in action. So... They would be equipped with an ample sack with uh, cakes, nuts, and fruits, and the hazel switch, and was supposed to be some kind of charm in it, as well as sting. So I don't know what that means, but that's what Wikipedia said. On so one would (laughs) I love every time you say Wikipedia, it's the weirdest thing to me. (laughs) Why Wikipedia? I can't even say it. It's like Costa Rica. That's the worst. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Costa Rica. Listen, shout out to Canada for like your healthcare system and everything, but Costa Rica. It's Costa Rica. Tomato, tomato. It's not. Co- uh, okay. <laughs> Continue. Continuing. Um. So they would just basically scatter the goodies on the floor, and then as the scramble for the children. Grabbing their treats would begin. The other hand would just start striking everybody with the switch. He would just be like, psh, psh. Don't you get those cakes? Um, <laughs> in 1853, there was an article in a British magazine describing Pennsylvanian customers, and it ref- or I'm sorry, customs, not customers. I don't know what I was reading. Describing Pennsylvanian customs, um, that they refer to a pel- 
Pelsnickel or Nicholas with the fur, alluding to the dress of skins in which he was said to be clad. Some make Pelsnickel identical with Krishkinkel, but the more general opinion is that the two are personages, one with the rewarder of the good or the punisher of the bad. So okay. according to this article, Pelsnickel merely leaves a birch rod in the stockings of naughty children. So not quite the same, but like pretty similar names. Yeah. Um, and he Sounds like just a derivative of... Belschnickel. Yeah. So apparently Pelsnickel doesn't beat you with the rod. They just leave the rod in your stocking. To what? Beat yourself? Like what? <laughs> oh my god, this <laughs> isn't church. I'm just wondering why it just... <laughs> what am I... Okay. <laughs> the same with like coal. What do you? What am I supposed to do with that? Like you're coal. right. Wait, Thanks. what is that tradition with coal? Do you know the tradition with coal? You like, get it why? in your stocking. But if why? You're bad. I don't know. We should have just done a history on Christmas. But this is more fun, and less people would probably do the show on it. I don't know. I agree. It doesn't matter. So the tradition of Belschnickel was also brought to Indiana by immigrants of the Palatinate. His, uh, the, in their version, his garb would vary from one locality to another. He might wear a long black or brown coat or robe held together at the waist with a rope and a fur cap or a bare skin hat decorated with bells. And the bells I read were to be loud and scare people. As if the switch wasn't enough. I know, right? Okay. Um, in this branch of the tradition, the father or the older male relative was often, quote, busy working outside or had to see some other matter elsewhere in the house when Peltsnickel, I don't know why I struggle with this, Peltsnickel or Belschnickel arrived. Okay, so dad was dressing up as, okay. It's kind of like when it's just like, where's dad? Santa's here, you know? <laughs> Where's grandpa? Um, so, quote, Belschnickeling or, quote, Klostentreiben. Hold on. Let me try to be German. Klostentreiben. Was that, was that German no. enough? Okay, we'll edit that out. <laughs> um, Belschnickeling or Klostentreiben was the running of groups of young men or youth dressed in false faces and costumes on Belschnickel night, which was the eve of um, the Feast of St. Nicholas, and was the occasion of good-natured boisterousness. Young men dressed in skins and furs would move through the streets of the town or village rattling chains and bells. Um, th the tradition also exists in parts of Newfoundland, uh... Nova Scotia, and the Prairie Providences of Canada, and some communities in the Brazilian state of Santa Catarina. Yeah, cool. I don't know how I pronounced all those. That was great. Wow. So that's basically the history of Belschnickel. Cool. So let's get into pop culture, because he's quite a popular dude, or bro, or lady, depending on the history. <laughs> lady bro, whatever. Lady bro. <laughs> um, so there's a Writer to the letters column of the Times refers to an illustration of Peltsnickel in a book by English author Harriet Myrtle, and the book's called The Little Sister, and it was um, published in 1851. Uh, there's a German illustrator, H.J. Schneider, depicts him in a, quote, long coat, pointed hood, a fur around his neck, and a long white beard in a big bag. So Santa. Yeah. In a fur coat. And a pointed hood. I guess Santa's kind of pointed. He has a hat. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's where the... What came first? Santa Claus or Belschnickel? I think Santa Claus because Belschnickel is referred to as Santa's... Or St. Nicholas's companion. Okay. 
Because I'm wondering where that hat came from. We should have just done a Christmas. Maybe next time. I don't know. Next year. Yeah. Look forward to that next year. (laughs) (laughs) If you stick around that long. Um, I hope so. We're having fun. So there... (laughs) Um, this one you might like. There's a Stout's Brewing Company of Adamstown, Pennsylvania, and they brew a seasonal dark lager called Belschnickel. I think I've heard of that. And then there's also Otto's Pub and Brewery of State College, Pennsylvania, and they also brew a Belschnickel ale. Hmm. Yeah, so I guess we gotta go to Pennsylvania, but... I'm sure there's a lot of other places like this, but specifically in the... If you're in the Cheyenne, Wyoming area... I know for a fact. At least this is how it was a couple years ago, and I don't see why they would change. But what do I know? There's a coffee shop called the Paramount Cafe, and they have a Belschnickel latte. And if I remember correctly, it's a peanut... Nope. Peanut butter. Where am I getting that from? It is not peanut butter. It is a peppermint mocha. Wow. But yeah, it's a peppermint mocha, so it's called a Belschnickel. And I think that's super cool that they do that. Shout out to the Paramount Great coffee place if you're in the Cheyenne, Wyoming area. His head just like <laughs> grazed the mic. Should I re-say that? No, you're fine. Okay. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> um, so, moving on. The antagonist of the J.R. Neal book, The Scallywagons of Oz. Great name. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, anyways, the 35th entry in the Oz series created by L. Frank Baum is a mysterious monstrosity called Belschnickel. It first appears as a large bluish green object, flat as a buckwheat cake and rolling along its edge like a cartwheel. The creature does have arms and legs as well as facial features. It wears bells on its ears, explaining at least one portion of its name. The creature has the egotism and petulance of a spoiled child. (laughs) I don't know why that's so funny to me. Anyways, that's it for that one. The next one is a 2020 Netflix film called The Christmas Chronicles... I thought that was a typo for a second, and then I realized it wasn't. Um, It features Belschnickel, played by actor Jillian Dennison. As the movie's main antagonist, his goal in the movie is to destroy Christmas, which is not at all anything we learned about, so I don't know where Netflix is getting this from, but maybe we'll have to watch the movie and figure it out. But, drumroll please, where I have heard about this amazing character from is The Office. Yeah. So, in the... It's a season nine episode of The Office. It's called, quote, Dwight Christmas. Um, Dwight Schrute dresses as Belschnickel and spends a significant portion of the episode deciding if his coworkers were impish or admirable (laughs) at the company Christmas party. (laughs) So, he literally dresses up in, like, the furs and everything. He has the switch. He has the bag of goodies and stuff. And... Um, yeah, so I'm going to go on a little download of what this episode is about, according to ScreenRant.com. So, um, the office episode, the party planning committee failed at setting up a holiday get-together for employees at Dunder Mifflin Scranton branch. This gave Dwight the perfect opportunity to share some of his family traditions. So, he came to the office dressed as Belschnickel, a fur-clad gift giver from long-told folklore that I just told you about. Um, Dwight described Belschnickel as a dirty, worse Santa, but preferred the figure due to his focus on instilling fear. 
<laughs> yeah. Sounds right. It does sound right. And it's an amazing episode. If anybody's ever seen it, it's funny. Are you impish or are you admirable? Impish. That means that I would be with a switch. Well, you're not. You're not Belschnigel, are you? I don't know. Am I? No. Yeah, beat me if you happen. <laughs> I would die. <laughs> I know better. <laughs> That's all I have. Love it. Yeah. Little short little thing for you guys. I like it a lot. Thanks. I'm so excited about your story. I don't know anything about it. I get ready. So very different from Sammy's story. <laughs> I'm going to be talking about the disappearance of five of the Sodder children. I got most of my information from the Smithsonian. Oh. a really, really good article on it, and it is just very well done. Um, also, from the podcast, Stuff You Should Know. I don't know if you listened to that. I've never I, it's heard of it. one of my it. favorites. Huh. Um, I think they took a lot from the same article. As... <laughs> You're like, that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. It was a really good article. So, um, for almost 40 years, anybody who's driving down Route 16 near Fayetteville, West Virginia, could see a billboard that showed the grainy images of five children. All had dark hair, solemn-eyed. Um, Maurice was 14, Martha was 12, Louis was 9, Jenny was 8, and Betty was 5. And stenciled beneath their photos um, was a brief uh, caption of what happened to them. So, going back, a man named George Sauter was actually born Giorgio Sadu. In Tula, Sardinia, so that's uh, Italy, yeah, yeah. In 1895, and he immigrated to the United States in 1908 when he was 13. His older brother brought him, and then literally left him at Ellis Island. Uh huh. He's 13. That's <laughs> he's like, okay, bye. Ugh. <laughs> um, he ended up working on the Pennsylvania railroads, carrying water and supplies to laborers there. Wait, wait, whoa, whoa. Are both of our stories in Pennsylvania? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Kind of. He started. Oh, okay. There. I was about to be like, we didn't even think of that. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, so he ended up working on the Pennsylvania railroads, carrying water and supplies to laborers. And after a few years, he ended up moving to Smithers, West Virginia, he was really smart and notoriously ambitious, and he ended up working as a driver and then launched his own trucking company, which um, they basically hauled dirt for construction companies and later freight and coal. Okay. One day, he walked into a local store called The Music Box, and he met the owner's daughter, whose name was Jenny Cipriani, um, and she had come over from Italy when she was three. Uh-huh. They ended up getting married. And they had, guess how many kids? 20. That's unreasonable. Seven. Ten. Oh. So gross. Still a lot. Um, they had ten kids between the years of 1923 and 1943, and they ended up settling in Fayetteville, West Virginia, which was a pretty small town, but it had a very active, like, Italian immigrant community. Okay. Um, and the Sodders were one of the most respected... Uh, middle-class families in the whole town. George had very strong opinions about everything from business to politics to current events, and he was, like, really outspoken about them, Mm -hmm. which kind of got him in trouble with other people in the community because everybody was Italian, so he would um, speak badly about, like, Mussolini, and it would piss people off. Oh. Is it? Wait. 
What is that similar to like another story that you've told? No. I told you about oh. this. Oh. No, yeah. no, no. I was thinking about JFK when you were talking about how he like oh, pissed off he the, also Im- the... Yeah. Okay. He also did not like his Lee. So the night before Christmas in 1945, George and Jenny Slaughter and nine of their ten kiddos went to bed. One of his kiddos was away in the army. He was fighting World War II. Mm-hmm. Around 1 a.m., a fire broke out. George and Jenny woke up to a super frantic scene. Basically, their whole house was on fire, and everybody was in a mad rush to get out, obviously. Yeah. <clears throat> Jenny and George, along with two-year-old Sylvia, whose crib was in their bedroom, um, ended up safe outside, along with 17-year-old Marion, and then 23-year-old John and 16-year-old George Jr. So they all were outside safe, which That's... left Maurice, Martha, Louis, Jenny, and Betty still in the house somewhere. Yep. <clears throat> so they their bedrooms they slept in the two bedrooms that were on either end of the hallway, separated by a staircase that was completely covered in flames. George is like, okay, uh, maybe I can go get my ladder, go up to their bedroom windows, get them out that way. Yeah. He goes to find his ladder, which he always kept propped up against the house, and it was gone. Later on, a guy ended up getting cited for stealing the ladder. He was found like in a gully somewhere else, but they didn't. They never questioned him about the the fire. He just had the ladder, and they were like, "Oh, yeah. that's weird. Here's mm-hmm. a ticket." So he can't find the ladder. So he's like, "Okay, um, maybe I can drive one of my coal trucks up to the house, climb up on top, and reach the windows that way." Well, neither of his coal trucks would start, and he had what? driven them earlier that day. So then they're like, fuck, fucked. So Marion, one of his daughters, oh sprints to a neighbor's house to call the fire department. But they couldn't get any kind of operator response. It was Christmas Eve. They couldn't get any response on 911. There was no What year was this? Yeah, I was like, I don't think it, 911 It was 45. Existed. Yeah, no, it didn't exist. Right. So they couldn't get a response. Another neighbor who saw the fire um ran down to the nearby tavern and again no operator response when they called so then another neighbor drove into town tracked down the fire chief who instead of going and driving the fire truck himself he said he couldn't do that so he initiated basically they had like a phone tree system where like one firefighter would call another would call another would call another okay keep in mind this fire started at 1 a.m the fire department was only two and a half miles away, and the crew didn't arrive until 8 a.m. What? Mm-hmm. So, at that point, the, the home was... Gone. Yeah. Gosh. So, George and Jenny assumed that the five kiddos that were still inside were dead, um, but a brief search of what was left of the house, there were no remains at all. Okay. So... Chief Morris suggested that the fire might have been hot enough to totally cremate the bodies. Okay. State police inspector went through the rubble and he decided that the fire was due to faulty wiring. Um, and then George ended up, he was so distraught over it that he's like, fuck this. He covers the whole foundation with dirt. His intention was to preser- preserve the site as kind of a memorial and a grave site for his kids. Yeah. And the coroner's office issued five death certificates just before New Year's saying that the fires, um, fire and suffocation were the cause of death for the five kiddos. Okay. But 
Sodders didn't just leave it at that. They were weirded out by the fact that there was no remains. And okay. by the ladder situation and the truck situation. Makes sense. I would also be weirded <clears throat> out. So, they start talking... And they start realizing all these kind of weird events that happened prior to the fire happening. So, first one. There was a stranger who appeared at their house a few months earlier um, asking about doing some work for them. He went to the back of the house, pointed at two separate fuse boxes, and he says, quote, this is going to cause a fire someday. Which was weird. George thought that was weird, mostly because he had just had the wiring checked and redone by a local power company because he had just had some new appliances installed in the house. Okay. So he had had it professionally inspected, and everything passed and was up to code. Cool. Second weird thing. Around the same time, another man tried to come. He was like a door-to-door life insurance salesman. Uh Comes to their house, um, tries to sell them some life insurance, got mad when George was like, no, we don't need that. He says, quote, your goddamn house is going up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. You're going to be paid for the dirty remarks you've been making about Mussolini. Okay. So this is a local guy who had obviously heard about whatever George was ranting and raving about. So what, he's like, your life's going to burn, so I need you to buy life insurance. I guess. I don't know what he expected Like, I'm trying to do you a favor. I guess. So, I'm just trying to help you out here, man. Yeah. Like, buy the life insurance. You're gonna yeah. die. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know if he expected George to be like, oh my god, you're right. <laughs> Let me buy whatever policy you're This is the second time selling. someone told me my house is gonna go <laughs> yeah, into flames. right? And then, the third weird thing, just before Christmas, they noticed a man parking along uh, Highway 21, which was basically right outside their house. Uh, who was watching the younger kids as they came home from school. So they thought that was weird, but they didn't, like... It wasn't weird at the time. It was weird in hindsight. Um. Okay, so let's go back to the night of the fire. So around 1230 on Christmas morning, um, the kids had opened a few of their presents, and pretty much everybody had gone to sleep, but um, the five kiddos were like, Ma, can we stay up a little bit later and play with our new toys? And she's yeah, like, yeah, obviously. Okay, that's fine. The phone rang... Um, Again, it's 12.30, the phone rings, Jenny went to answer it, and an unfamiliar female voice asked for an unfamiliar name. Um, It sounded like it was a Christmas party, something weird. Is Tamara home? (laughs) Basically. And, uh, so, like, face value, I think this is just, like, a, a wrong number or whatever, but it made them think about other things that spurred more conversation about, um... Just weird things they had all experienced that might contribute it. Right. Con- contribute to that fire. And Jenny's like, no, you have a, the wrong number. She hangs up. She, um, So she tiptoes back to bed. Noticed that all the downstairs lights were still on. Curtains were still open. Front door was unlocked. So she just starts buttoning up the house, basically. Turns all the lights off. Um, locks the door up. <clears throat> sees that Marion is still asleep on the sofa in the living room. And then just assumed that the other kids basically put themselves back to bed. She turns off the lights, closes the curtains, all the things. Um, all the things. And she heads up to bed herself. And then just as she starts kind of falling asleep, she heard some kind of loud bang on the roof and then a rolling noise. And then an hour later, um, she's awoken again because the house is on fire. <clears throat> so was it like a Molotov cocktail? 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 
So the next day they found, um, George described it as like a, a rubber pineapple kind of um, napalm. He said it was like a napalm ball, but oh. he he didn't serve in the war, so I don't know how he would know <clears throat> what it was. But they did find a weird rubber object in the yard that they didn't know what it was. <clears throat> Interesting. So Jenny couldn't understand how five kids could perish in the fire, leave no bones, no flesh, nothing. So she starts kind of doing her own little experiments where she's burning like animal bones, chicken bones, beef joints, pork chop bones to see like what happened to them. Yeah. Um, and every time she did that, she was left with a heap of charred bones. She knew the remnants of various household appliances had been found in the burned out basement. So like it wasn't hot enough to totally melt everything down to the point where it wasn't recognizable. Like they could go into the foundation of the burned house and they could recognize like That's my lucky pot that yeah. I used to cook my spaghetti in. Yeah. And then she spoke with an employee at a crematorium who let her know that bones remain after bodies are cremated. Um and the standard process for that is two hours at about two thousand degrees. Oh gosh. Right, and the house was destroyed in about 45 minutes, so it was not equivalent to cremating somebody. And even For when you hours. do, right, and even when you do that, there's remains. Yeah. Like, you don't just turn into ash. Like, there's still bones and teeth and fillings and things like that. So, um, a telephone repairman told the Sodders that their lines uh, appeared to have been cut that night, oh. which was obviously after that wrong number phone call. That they got, so that kind of gave them a, a timeline for that. I wonder if that wrong number phone call was to see if the lines were working. Maybe. Okay, I don't know. Oh, no. And then they realized that if the fire had been because of faulty electrical work, um, <clears throat> or just faulty wiring, then power would have been dead, so why were the downstairs rooms still lit up? Right. <clears throat> A witness came forward stating that he saw a man at the fire scene taking a block and tackle used for removing car engines. So, could that have been why George's trucks wouldn't start? So, the guy was there after the fire department was there with that equipment? At the scene. Some, like, one of the neighbors saw. I think before. Oh, before. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Within the seven hours it took for the fire department to get there. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> So, all those weird things happened, and then even weirder, almost immediately, there were all kinds of reports of the kids being sighted afterwards. Gotcha. Um, so, shortly after the fires, which were obviously reported in the papers and things like that, so that's why these uh, were getting reported, um, a woman claimed to have seen the missing children peering from a passing car while the fire was in progress. Ooh. A woman operating a tourist stop between Fayetteville and Charleston, which is about 50 miles west from Fayetteville, um, said she saw the kids in the morning after the fire, said that she served them breakfast, and that there was a car with Florida license plates and a tourist court, too. A tourist what? At, a, at the tourist court, which was this tourist stop. Oh, Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's like, it's not just people are seeing one of the children, they're seeing all five. Yep. That's interesting, because it's not like, you don't see a large family of with five kids no. very often. No. 
Um, a woman at a Charleston hotel saw the kids' photos in a newspaper and said she'd seen four of the five the week after the fire. She said that they were accompanied by two women and two men. All uh, were Italian. And she said she doesn't remember exactly what date it was, but the whole party registered at the hotel, stayed in a large room with several beds, came in about midnight. She tried to talk to the kids, but then the men, like the grown adult men, were like not letting her talk to the kids. Uh-huh. And then after that, the whole party stopped talking to her, so like they had been trained to like not talk. Oh, that's awful. <clears throat> That's, yeah, and then they ended suspicious. Up, yeah, they ended up leaving the next morning. Uh, in 1947, George and Jenny sent a letter about the case to the FBI, and they actually got a reply from Jagger Hoover himself, which said, Ooh. he was like, we would love to help with this, but your local police department has to invite us because it's their That's jurisdiction, right. and they wouldn't do it. That's how the FBI works. <clears throat> yep, so... They were kind of screwed there. And that then sucks. the Sodders. That sucks that they were like, we would be interested. Yeah. But we can't just oh, show yeah. up. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Isn't that fucked? I know. Mm. So then the Sodders end up hiring a private investigator who discovered that the insurance salesman who had threatened George was a member of the coroner's jury that deemed the fire was accidental, <gasps> which is suspicious. What? <laughs> mm-hmm. He also heard a story Wait, from. Go ahead. Also, what's a coroner's jury? I don't know. I guess they had a group that looked at all the evidence and they agreed that the fire was an accident. Okay. Um, He also heard a story from a Fayetteville minister about the fire chief. The fire chief had claimed that no remains were found, but supposedly confided to the minister that he had discovered a heart in the ashes, which is weird. That wouldn't happen. Yeah, no, that one. And he happen. says that he hid it inside a dynamite box buried at the scene. <laughs> this guy sounds... I'm, I shouldn't be laughing. I'm I so sorry. I was like, this yeah. guy sounds crazy. Yeah. That's rude. So I'm sorry. This PI persuaded the fire chief to show him where he left this box, supposedly. And then they yeah. together dug up the box, took it straight to the funeral director, who basically concluded it was not a heart. It was a beef liver, which was not touched by the fire at all. Whoa, mm-hmm. that's weird. Yeah. So, and then soon after that, the Sodders heard rumors that the fire chief had told others um, that the contents of the box had not been found at the fire at all, that he buried the he buried it there so that the Sodders would find it and have some kind of peace of mind and some kind of closure believing that their kids had died in the fire. With a heart, with a single... <coughs> Heart. Yeah. But like you said, like, I think obviously the mother is quite a clever lady uh-huh. because she's like doing all this investigation. She would have f- figured out the heart would burn right. before the bones. Right. And, and when it came down to it, the fire chief just wanted them to stop looking altogether. Be a little so bit more clever here, chief. Yeah. yeah. So over the next few years, the tips and leads kept coming in. George. Uh, saw a newspaper photo of their of school children in New York City and was convinced that one of them was his daughter Betty. He was so convinced that he drove to Manhattan, tried to find this kid, and the the parents were like, "No, no, 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 no! Like, oh, yeah. you're not coming here. You're not talking to our daughter." That's creepy. So that's the point that they had gotten to. Like a little bit too obsessed. Yeah. In 1949, the Sodders decided to mount a new search at the fire scene and brought in a Washington D.C. 
D.C. <laughs> a Washington, D.C. pathologist named Oscar Hunter. Um, so they es- excavated the whole site and uncovered several small objects, including damaged coins, a partly burned dictionary, and several shards of vertebrae. Hunter sent those bones to the Smithsonian, which issued the following report, quote, The human bones consist of four lumbar vertebrae belonging to one individual. Since the transverse recesses are fused, the age of this individual at death should have been 16 or 17 years. Top limit age would be about 22. On the basis, on this basis, the bones show greater skeletal maturation than one would expect of a 14-year-old boy, which was the oldest of the missing solder kids. Okay. It's however possible, although not probable, for a boy 14 year, years old to show 16 to 17-year-old maturation. So, I don't know. It's weird. So, they're kind of like, it's not likely really, but it is kind of? It, it would be rare. Okay. For it to be the oldest How- kiddos awesome would it have been if he had like x-rays done a couple years before and they could have like compared the two dang it Mm -hmm. but like however okay keep going the vertebrae showed no evidence that they had been exposed to fire so was that planted they also might have been planted yep (sighs) the report said it was very strange that no other bones were found in the allegedly careful excavation so whose poor child is out there missing their vertebrae (laughs) They're just four. Mm-hmm. Dang. Yep. Did they just dig up someone's fucking I guess. I don't grave? know. I don't know. Oh, um, my gosh. And the report also noted that because the fire only burned for, like, 30 to 45 minutes, um, they expected to find full skeletons. Like, it did not burn long enough to totally disintegrate yeah. these bones. Yeah. Smithsonian report prompted two hearings at the Capitol in Charleston, after which Governor Oki Patterson and the state police superintendent uh, told the Sodders that the search was hopeless and declared the the case closed. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. They didn't care, though. George and Jenny uh, put up that big billboard that I told you about in the very beginning on their property along Route 16 and passed out flyers offering a $5,000 reward for information leading to the recovery of their kids. That They increased that soon after to $10,000. And after they did that, a letter arrived from a woman in St. Louis saying that the oldest girl, Martha, was in a convent there. Another tip came from Texas where a patron in a bar overheard an incriminating conversation about a long-ago Christmas Eve fire in West Virginia. Um, someone in Florida claimed that the kids were staying with distant a distant relative of Ginny's. So George basically traveled the country, like, following, following. all these tips oh, and gosh. seeing if they were real. How heartbreaking. Yep, and he would, sometimes she would go with him, sometimes not, and they were just empty-handed every single time. Um, in 1968, more than 20 years after the fire, uh, Ginny went to the mail... To get the mail and found an envelope addressed only to her. It was postmarked in Kentucky but didn't have a return address. Mm-hmm. And inside was a photo of a man in his mid-twenties. Um, and on the flip side, on the back of it, was a note that read, Lewis Sauter, I love Brother Frankie, A90132 or 35. So they didn't know what the fuck that meant. She and George... 
looked at the picture and they thought like this could definitely be our son Lewis. He was nine at the time, so it matched. But like, what are those numbers? I don't know. That's so it's weird. weird. It's super weird. It's like the <laughs> we need those people who just decoded the zodiac's latest. Yeah, go get this. Yeah. So. They get this, and they hire another PI to go check it out and see if they can find where it came from. They hire him. He supposedly goes off to do that, and they never hear from him again. Like, he dies? I think, or he just takes the money just, and runs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is why you don't pay for people until after the job's done. True story. So, the Sars were scared that if they published that letter, like the back of the photo, um, or the name of the town on the postmark their son, like, whoever has him might hurt him. So instead they amended the billboard that they had and they put that photo on there instead of the one that they had when he was nine. So okay, they updated that. Um, George ended up passing away that year in 1968, still hoping that there would be a break in the case, but there wasn't. So sad. Jenny ended up... Um, putting up a big fence around the property, began adding rooms to the home, building lair after lair after lair between her. She kind of became like a recluse in, in their property. She was just done over yeah. it. And Makes sense. Sad. Um, since the fire, she exclusively wore black. Same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and she continued to do that until she died in 1989. Dang, she lived a long time. She did. After she died, the billboard finally came down. Her kids and grandkids continue uh, to investigate and look for any, I mean, any evidence that they can find. They all have their own theories, but um, a lot of people think, that, a lot of the family thinks that the local mafia tried to recruit George, and he said nah, and so they tried to extort money from him, Um and he, he was like, no, nah, I'm not doing that either. <laughs> so they kidnapped the kids. Um, they think that it was somebody that the kids probably knew. Right. Who was part of the mafia, came in, took them. Makes sense why they didn't make a fuss about it. <clears throat> yep. The front door was unlocked, if you remember. So they could have just come in the house and snagged them. Yeah. Lock your doors, folks. Yep. And... I mean, that's... Pretty much the end of it. The youngest and last surviving Sodder kiddo, uh, Sylvia, who was two at the time, is now um, in her 70s. And she doesn't believe her siblings died in the fire. Uh Um, When she has the time, she visits crime sleuthing websites and, like, armchair detective sites. Talks to people who are still interested in the crime and the mystery and... She says her very first memories are of that night. What? Mm-hmm. Imagine a night so traumatic that as a two-year-old, that's your first memory. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Yep. I mean, not like first memory, yep. but your first remembered memory. Yep. That's so, so fucked. She still is looking into everything, but yeah, there's no, uh, there's uh, no resolution to it. And I that's almost that. wonder if there was like an uproar at the police department where it happened. To, like, relook into the case. Like, I know it's, like, technically closed, but if somebody goes in there and, like, is, like, mm, yeah. it, it takes that one officer to be, like, no, there's something more to this. Mm-hmm. We need to do something. And then they get the FBI involved. Like, mm-hmm. maybe something will happen with that. I don't know. Yeah. Just throwing things out there because that sucks. Isn't that wild? Yeah. I don't think they're dead. 
No. You were f- like well, I think they probably are now, but Oh. You're yeah. The you're youngest right. one was two and she's like in her late seventies now. Yeah. Early eighties. You're right. So Yeah, that's, that's so sad. Uh, yep. Imagine your house is on fire and you're trying everything you can to get to your kids and nothing's working. Can't find a ladder. You, I can't your truck's imagine. not working. That would be so frustrating. That'd be so frustrating. He was so frantic about trying to get his kids that he actually injured himself pretty badly. He sliced open his arm and he didn't even realize. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So that adrenaline. No, I I can't imagine. And God, having ten kids to keep track, nine of them to keep track of. In that During house? A house fire? Oh my god. Yeah. Can you imagine? No. no. I mean, I've taken calls of like a family with their trailers on fire mm-hmm. and like they don't listen to me, but they're no. like, I'm going to go and get my family members. I'm like, no. Oh, I would. I, I totally would too, but my, my instructions <laughs> are like, I don't want to create more victims. Right. So like, I'm trying to inform people, like, no, I don't want you to get hurt. Like, yeah trying to help them like mm-hmm. but at the same time i wouldn't mm, no yep. i'm totally going into that fire i don't yep. care yeah so that's that oh my gosh i hate Thank you it for coming to my ted talk yeah i appreciate it <laughs> i appreciate coming to your tech talk okay <laughs> <laughs> we have all of the animals in here i know everybody's in here it's a little pack i yeah. love it look at this boy oh my god he loves you so much <laughs> i wish he loved me that much oh my gosh i'm just new you're not new anymore. It's <laughs> not a good excuse. Alright. Gosh, I was going to say something else about that. I can't believe you've never heard of it. Mm-mm. Did you like it? I loved it. It's cool, It right? was super good. It was wild. Super wild. A lot of weird happenings. Yeah. That is so interesting. Yeah. Huh. Well, uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Hopefully, if Belschnickel visited you, you got cakes and goodies and nuts and fruits and a uh, whipping. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and hopefully your house doesn't catch on fire. Yeah. Gosh. Sorry if it does. Don't say that. We didn't do it. It was the podcast. That's not a thing. You can't will stuff into existence. I, yeah. You totally can. Nope. <clears throat> nope. And even if you can, we have 911 now. So it won't take the fire department eight hours to get to your house. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Isn't that wild? That's the part that kills me. Eight hours. anytime we have a structure fire, it is like... Two does that call? Yeah. Yeah. And it's even faster now because we, we started auto-dispatching, so we don't manually dispatch the fire department anymore. Yeah. The moment we drop the call, there's a computer that's airing the call for us. Yep. It's so cool, but at the same time, I kind of miss it. I had to do some test tones today for one of our volunteer fire... Yeah. Unit stations, I guess. And I looked at it at the radio, so I was like, how do I... I don't remember how to I don't to remember page. how to do that. <laughs> I d- I've done it for two years, and it's... Gone. Gone. I've been not... Like, we've been auto-dispatching for, like, a month. <laughs> two years of... <laughs> the, my job is gone. Yep. yep. It's fine. All right. Anyways. Well, find us on yeah. Gmail at whonewpodcast666 at gmail.com. Yep. Or on Instagram. At Who Knew Podcast. Yeah. Or Patreon. Yes. Tell them about Patreon. I... You're the expert. I don't know. I'm really excited about Patreon. I'm hoping to get some patrons here soon so that I can get some people involved. Like, we can start creating more, doing things that we really enjoy. Yeah. But there's three different tiers, so nothing really too crazy right now. Maybe if we get popular enough, we can add more. But until then, (laughs) we have three tiers. I feel like they're pretty affordable. Mm Mm-hmm. If I 
It'd be kind of counterproductive. I'd become my own patron, but... No, don't do that. I know. I'd be paying us yeah. to do the yeah. things we already do, so yeah. I won't do that, but... I think it's cool. You should check it out. You can get some... I mean, they're not free things, because you're paying for it, but pretty cool. Right, but, like, all that Exclusive money... stuff. ...that you put into the Patreon is gonna go towards those like things. Like, actual content. Like, we're yeah. not just kind of sit there and keep doing the same things whatever no. like we don't like there's t-shirts there's stickers there's yeah. um like extra episodes that we can put out for you guys it's mm-hmm. just like that's that stuff we need <laughs> something more to be able to do that we work yep. some pretty busy jobs yeah so. so yeah so that's that that's all i got um i guess that's all i got we'll see you guys next week which is new year Woo-hoo. So I hope you guys have a good New Year's Eve. I hope you guys celebrate. F- have fun. Be Stay safe. safe. Yeah, safe. Please be safe. <laughs> Bye.